0: Since Footloose is still in theaters, the first portion of this podcast episode is spoiler-free. you just watching episode 29 footloose i'm eve franklin welcome to the podcast where we share critical thinking for the entertained christian now i will warn you in talking about this movie i will be dealing with a topic that is highly controversial in some christian circles so if you don't care to hear a discussion about dance in the bible then i recommend that you not listen to this episode As promised, I am going to keep it spoiler-free for the next minute or two. I do want to tell you that Footloose has earned its PG-13 rating. There's quite a bit of violence in this movie, uh, as well as sexual suggestive behavior, lots of bare skin, drugs, adolescent drinking, and a lot of foul language. So if any of that stuff bothers you and you don't want your kids exposed to it, then do keep them away from this film. The movie also shows rebellious behavior on the part of teens. It shows teens back back talking adults um i highly recommend that you read plugged in online's review of this film and you can get find a link to that review um, by going to our show notes are you just watching dot com slash 29 so i do recommend that you uh, check out that um, review and or even go see the movie yourself before you would allow your teens or um, children to see it um There are some things that need to be discussed about this movie. That's the whole reason why I am doing this podcast. There's a lot of fodder for discussion regarding um, Christianity, Christian living. Um, There's actually a lot of scripture quoted in this movie, which is rather surprising for the type of movie that it is. One of the main characters is a pastor, and the story centers around a rebellious pastor's daughter, so there is a lot there to discuss. However, if you do allow your children to go see this movie, make sure that you discuss some of the top themes topics with your children either before or after so that they understand your perspective on them I do understand that Footloose is a uh, faithful remake I have not seen the original myself I went to the movie with a friend who had seen the original movie and uh, she said that it was very similar but that this one was better written and better acted so um, the other one was probably not so much fun Now, I I can't discuss anything more about the movie without spoiling the the story. So if you don't want to be spoiled, I suggest you turn this off now and uh, view the movie and then you can come back to to my review later. If you don't mind hearing some spoiling, um, I actually recommend that you go ahead and hear what I have to say about the movie, because um, there is some stuff that that you'll want to hear before you go in. Now. The um, Footloose begins with a tragedy. Uh, you start, you see all these kids dancing, and then they get in a car and they get out on the road, and they're kind of partying in the car and having fun with each other, and they're involved in a car crash because they're not the driver, uh, whose name is Bobby, is not paying attention to the road, and they are hit by a semi, and all five of them are killed. And the basic idea of the whole movie is is that this town, the small town in Beaumont, Georgia, it's a fictional town. In reaction to this death of one, uh, one Bobby, the the driver of the car was actually the the pastor's um, eldest son. They they actually pass a series of laws in in order to enforce good behavior from their children to prevent such tragedies from happening again. Uh, there's a ban on public dancing. There's a ban on drinking, obviously, and there's a curfew among some other things. When Pastor Moore addresses the town council, he's talking about protecting their children from a world full of, quote, evil temptation and danger. And then he makes a very interesting quote. He says, We cannot be missing from our children's lives. Now, one of the things that I kind of thought about while watching this movie was that the whole idea of that we can't be missing from our children's lives is taken a little out of context here because. The town is passing laws on children, how children can behave in public. And that's really what the town is doing. What, what are the parents doing? Because one of the first things you see is you jump three years into the future and the kids are out partying. They're, they're doing it illegally because it's against the law, but they're finding ways to get around their parents and they're doing this stuff anyway. And so the laws are really not stopping the behavior; it's it's stopping the public behavior, but it's not stopping the behavior itself. And so the idea that passing laws is somehow making these parents um, more active in their children's lives is actually not true. In fact, they're they're relying on this town's law to enforce the behavior they want in their kids instead of being active in their children's lives and being aware of what they're doing. And so I think that in in this case, they're actually seeing um, laws that are passed because they don't want to be missing from their children's lives. But because of the laws, they actually are missing from their children's lives because they are relying on the town's law to protect their children instead of being active and, and knowing what their children are doing. The next time we see Pastor Moore, he's giving a sermon. And in his sermon, he's talking about progress. He says that uh, the technology that we use, and I'm paraphrasing him here, uh, make people toot each other out and that he wants no part of this portal to the world. So we have this this interesting juxtaposition between uh, a pastor who has labeled a lot of things worldly and um, pretty much just outlawed them from his life and from the lives of the people of his congregation and of the town. However, we see his daughter, Ariel, is actually very rebellious. In in fact, there's a point later on in the movie where she blames him um, for all the strict rules because she says she blames that he's these laws making these laws because of what happened to Bobby is actually blaming Bobby for the behavior that led to the laws. Um, Her point is, is that she's saying that. Uh, No, everybody remembers Bobby because of the laws, not because of anything that good had happened in his life, because he was a good student, and he was a good athlete, and he had all these things going for him positively. And because he made a bad decision, while driving a car full of youth, uh, that they all got killed. Now everybody remembers him as the reason why they have all of these strict laws. And so he's not remembered for the good things in his life. He's remembered for the bad things. Now this discussion comes up in the midst of a scene where the pastor is actually uh, blaming Wren for Ariel being uh, beaten up. She's actually been hit a couple times by her boyfriend who is not Wren. And I do notice that Ariel never actually says that Wren wasn't the one that did it, but she uses that as an occasion to blame her father for blaming Bobby and saying, you always find someone to blame for something. And she's wanting him to see that sometimes you can't just assign blame to individuals. Now, it's interesting that um, we're dealing with kind of a town that's uh, living in a bit of a theocracy. They've got the the pastor of the church is sitting on the town council, and he's helping to uh, make decisions that kind of regulate, legislate morality in the town. Now, Wren, when he comes in, he's he's from Boston, Massachusetts. He's, He's from a totally different culture. He's moving from the north to the south, um, from the city to a small town. There's just a lot of, um, a lot of a culture shock for him to deal with. At one point, he's having a discussion with his uncle about um, what's going on in the town. He says, he's, he's, he's like, we, don't we live in a country where there's separation of church and state? Now, you don't want to get me started on that soapbox, because we actually don't live in a country that has a separation of church and state. That is not in our Constitution. But that's another soapbox, and I won't get on it for now. But in this case, his uncle responds, well, what does the church have to do with it? Well, Ren brings up the fact that, that in this particular area, you can't buy beer on Sunday. And his uncle replies, well, Sunday is God's day, you buy your beer on beers day, which is Saturday. It says it in the Bible. God says it, I believe it. And that settles it. No, actually it doesn't say you can't buy beer on Sunday in the Bible. And there's a lot of this, um, you know, we, we do it because that's what the Bible says, kind of a mentality presented in this movie that is actually not scripturally accurate. And, um, I think that it's a good reminder that we should be Bereans and search the scripture, Uh, to see if these things be sold. We shouldn't just take the word of other people when they tell us that, well, the Bible says you shouldn't do this. You should actually research it yourself a little bit. Now, one of the things that I think is particularly interesting about this is the fact that he says that um, you don't buy your beer on Sunday, you buy it on Saturday um, in order to stock up so you can drink it on Sunday. And it kind of reminds me of the scripture. Um, actually, it's Jesus talking here. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, en- envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. That's Mark seven twenty through 22. Now, I bring this up because in this instance, we have a, le- a law that's telling people how to behave. But they don't necessarily follow that law, all the re- all the all the time, they only follow it when the law tells them that they can do it, like it, the buying of beer. It's like you can't buy it on Sunday. So you buy it on Saturday, it doesn't necessarily stop them from buying beer and becoming drunk and doing all the things that come out of an abuse of alcohol. But it tells them when they can do it. So they haven't actually stopped the bad behavior. They've just moved it to a different day of the week or into as as per with the dancing in this movie um, to an illegal parts of um, back people's back rooms or whatever in fact uh, the drive-in theater becomes like a an illicit dance spot because when the police aren't around they they pipe the music through the speakers and the kids can dance next to their cars now i it's One of those things where you can't regulate morality, you have to change the heart, because as Jesus had reminded us in Mark, in that scripture there, that um, it's not what's on the – how do we behave on the exterior or how we dress or do any of that stuff that defines a person. It's what comes out of the heart, and we have to remember that you can't make people – behave in a moral way if they don't have moral hearts. And the, and it's what what is in our hearts that creates that moral behavior. In a way, this movie really brings that out because they've passed the laws, but the laws really don't work. Now, there was another instance in this movie where um, uh, Ren is talking about talking to his friend about... Um, about the laws, and he says, well, laws are meant to be challenged, they aren't set in stone. And his friend is being a little funny, and he replies, well, the Ten Commandments were in stone. I think that that's another reminder that there is a difference between public law, the laws that we create for ourselves, and the God's law, which is the law that he ordained onto us. And they are different laws. I mean, uh, the town may say you shall not dance, but that's not actually in uh, the Ten Commandments. It's not one of the shout nots. And we have to be um, careful in how we uh, use and abuse scripture to make our own points. And you see that later on in this movie, because there is quite a bit of scripture quoting going on in this movie. Now I want to deal just a little bit more with the relationship um, of, uh, with the person of Ariel and her relationship with the people around her. Um, she has this conversation with her boyfriend. Now she's dating unknown to her father cause he would be completely against it. She's dating an older man who's a race car driver and he um, is basically um, just using her. She's, she's the, one of the racetrack sluts who comes and and hangs out. And um, there's a scene where um, they're alone together making out and it, and it is a sexual scene. Um, and she, she, she says, yellow flag, yellow flag. And she stops because he's getting a little too close for her comfort. And and he says, you know, are you the preacher's daughter or are you the rebel child? And she says, well, I'm not a child. And he says, well, prove it. And then she says, close the door. And you get the impression that they go ahead and have sex, which is bad because she's the pastor's daughter. And she's um, she's been pushed beyond what she was willing to do because she had already said, yellow flag, I want to stop. Um, she was pushed beyond what she wanted to do because she wanted to prove she wasn't a child. When she has a discussion with her father later on, she's, she's really trying to bring out over and over again that she doesn't, she, she's even says it multiple times. I'm not a child. She says it to her father. She says it to her boyfriend. She wants people to treat her as an adult, able to make her own decisions. And nobody is treating her that way. They either treat her like a slut um, or like a child or, um, like she's not trustworthy and she just wants someone to trust her and to to uh, expect her to be responsible and because nobody expects that of her she isn't there's a cute scene it's actually the first time that scripture is quoted in the movie um, she comes home late and um, she tells her father that it's Rin who's brought her home and the pastor tells her to stay away from Ren because he's trouble and her response is, man who is born of woman is few of days and full of trouble. Job fourteen one. And then she stalks off. And it's it's humorous because she's like fighting her father with scripture because he's a pastor and she's a pastor's daughter and, and whenever he says, um, she comes back. So it's kind of humorous in that aspect, but in a way she's kind of right that just being out with a guy is trouble, so... And that's kind of representative of the way scripture is used in this movie. It's it's usually brought up um, almost kind of in the way of Satan tempting Jesus, where it's scripture taken out of context and, and used to mean something that it really doesn't mean. A lot kind of comes out of this um, ongoing conversation between Ariel and her father, because there's a situation right after where she's beat up by her boyfriend, and she's at the church with her mom, and her um, father comes in, and, and she's like, one of the points that she makes while she's having this discussion with her father, it's actually kind of is a shouting match and a lot of back talk. And, but she says, she wonders why she can't talk about her problems at church. She's in that what, what we're supposed to do is talk about our problems at church. She says, I'm so lost. I've been losing my mind. You don't see it. And I hate it when you treat me like a child. Now, this is a situation I think where a father has, Try well he's actually a pastor has had a, a bigger perspective on the situation and in so doing he's kind of lost sight of his, his own daughter and how the, the death of her brother has affected her and the laws in the town and, and all the other things that are going on and I'm kind of reminded you know that the Lord, in in giving us the Bible, He kind of has give, given us instruction on how we're supposed to deal with our children. Um, in Ephesians six four, it says, "Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up to in the discipline and instruction of the Lord." Colossians three twenty one says, "Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged." Now, both of these verses really apply to this con- to this um, quote that she gave. She says, "I'm so lost. I'm losing your mi- my mind, and you don't see it." And that that lostness that that feeling of of, um, of despair and discouragement. And she's really, really angry at her father right now. And in this instance, you see that her father has actually provoked her to this position because he has not trusted her and he has not... Um, taken into account the way things are are affecting her and her life. So part of parenting is, is actually um, not just setting rules, but being aware of what's going on in your children's lives and being able to see where they are to see them um, and see how they're dealing with the stresses in their lives and, and not just blaming them for when they do something wrong, but, but seeking to help them through bear their burdens. As it says, we're to bear one another's burdens. When we sin, we're to, to gently lead, um, Lead each other to uh, to repentance, not not be judgmental and not um, provoke anger. Now, uh, Ariel's mother, the pastor's wife, um, actually comes and talks to him after this fight that they've had, um, and she says, "You know, these maybe these laws were too much too soon. Your obligation was to our daughter. You're a great preacher, but your one-on-one could use some work." And I think, in, in she's, and she's actually the one that stands up and makes the town council listen to Wren uh, when, he's, when he's talking before the council about um, abolishing the ban on dancing. Now, about that, abolishing the ban on dancing, uh, there, this is where the rest of the scripture came in. Um, Ariel gives Wren a Bible to help with his speech before the town council, and um, so he actually quotes scripture when he's talking to the council. Now, first, before before he's even allowed to speak, the pastor comes up and talks about how the town is concerned about spiritual corruption, how dancing can be destructive, and celebrating certain kinds of music can be destructive. And then Ren gets up when he's the the pastor's wife stands up and says, "I want you to let you know let him have his say because they were just going to shut him up and not let him talk." And his speech was a little bit, you know, he's like, I know that the job of a parent is to worry, and, but the job of a teen is to live life in the very short amount of time that they have before they grow up and become just like the adults, worrying about all the things that are going on in their lives. So it's the time for them to celebrate life, and they only have a very short time to do it. And the, the phrase that you see advertised with the movie Footloose is, this is our time, and... I think maybe the phrasing of that takes it maybe a little more out of context is actually say the way he actually said it in the in the movie is that, um, that he's just kind of pointing out that this is our time to be young. Don't make us old before our time. Now, the scripture that he uses, he he brings up um, three scriptures, Psalm 149, three, let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. And Second Samuel six fourteen, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, and Ecclesiastes three four, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, and it, I think that the Ecclesiastes passage is is uh, probably the most uh, applicable to the situation in this town, because they have been mourning the The three years that they've had this ban on dance was uh, a kind of a mourning period over the loss of these five teams. I mean, they would have been graduated from high school by now. They would have been a couple years into college. They would have been pursuing their lives and they weren't there anymore. And the whole town is still bearing with that shock. And so Ren is kind of stepping up and saying we've you've had your time to mourn. I wasn't here when this happened, but he says I see the faces of the of the pictures of these kids in the school. I and I see the impact that it's had on the lives of of the whole town, but now it's time to, you know, put that mourning behind us and and allow us to uh celebrate the love of life. However, the town council actually uh turns down his request to uh, uh, take away the ban on dance. In fact, they, at the end of the movie, they have to move the dance outside of the town limit um, into the cotton uh, cotton mill warehouse. In regards to that dance, uh, Wren actually comes and asks the pastor for permission to take Ariel to it, uh, even though he knows that the the town is not in favor of the dance. And he says, if if you don't give me permission to take her to the dance, then I won't go myself, even though he's been the rallying cry for the even to be allowed to have the dance. Well, then they they show a sermon. Actually, it's not the sermon. It's the pastor standing before the church, and he's very quiet for a little bit. And then he starts to to speak, and I didn't get the whole thing written down, but it it comes about something like this. I've insisted on taking responsibility for your lives. Like a first-time parent, I've made mistakes. Do I hold on or trust you to yourselves? Do I let go and hope? If we don't start trusting our children, how can they prove themselves trustworthy? And it was kind of his way of giving blessing to the students, to to, the children, to go out and have this dance. And then he he kind of wraps it up by saying, well, just we need to pray for our children that they will make right decisions, that they will be safe. And I think that that was a really good conclusion to that whole uh, story. Loop that it was the pastor who had originally instituted the ban on the dancing, and then it was the, he from the pulpit at his church gives permission for the students to have the go and have this dance. And it was in such a way, and you actually see all of the parents pitching in to help clean up the warehouse so they can set up for the dance. So it's not just the kids going out and doing their illicit things; it's the parents being involved and and helping in a way that that um, is useful into the, in the children's lives. Now, I'm not going to come forward and say that dancing is wrong, and I'm not going to come forward and say that it's right either. I think that, um, as the scriptures that he's pointed out, and there are quite a few more of them in the Bible, actually, there's more scriptures about dancing in a good way than there is dancing in a bad way. Uh, In in Exodus, there's the story of Miriam bringing all the women out and dancing and singing um, over their victory over... um, over, you know how God struck down the Egyptian army um, in the in the, when the sea returned and drowned them all, and they get out and, and sing that the song. I actually remember singing it when I was little. Uh, I will sing unto the Lord for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider thrown into the sea. Um, and then there's David dancing before the Lord and there's all kinds of scripture about, you know, dancing to show um, your joy in God. And I think that that is when dancing is the most appropriate. It's not that that dancing is, is, um, always appropriate, but that there is an appropriate place for dancing. Most of the dancing that we have in our culture today could not be considered appropriate. It is very sexual. Um, and it's, um, as it's even called in this movie, lewd and lascivious, um, So we have to be careful about how we deal with the topic of dance. And in this situation, they are saying that dance is a celebration of the love of life and that kids should be allowed to love their, you know, their youth and their life and and whatever. I'm not going to take a position on that. That's for each of you and the Lord and how you want to deal with that topic. But um, I do know that the Bible only presents uh, appropriate dancing as being the uh, dancing for joy for the Lord. It doesn't necessarily say that dancing is wrong. This is that how the purpose of the dance is what's wrong. There is one last thing I want to talk about in this movie. The um, there's a scene actually Ren has come to live in Beaumont because his mother has passed away from leukemia and he's come to live with his mother's brother. And in in coming to live here, he's he's kind of dealt with his own grief because he's had to watch his mother slowly die of leukemia, and he had to put up with it pretty much by himself because his father left as soon as she got sick. and um, And then you have the pastor who's dealing with the death of his son, which is a very uh, intimate and personal uh, grief that um, possibly he hasn't been able to deal with on his own. and he, You know, he's uh, been very vocal in the town about needing to pass laws and stuff, but he hasn't actually dealt with that on his own. It's kind of an interesting discussion that the two of them have. They kind of find that common ground over the death of a loved one. And Ren makes a very interesting point. He says death is on its own clock. Um, He thought that he was going to have a chance to say goodbye to his mom, but he actually didn't, even though it was a slow illness that took her over a, a period of time he missed that opportunity to say goodbye to her and the pastor missed the opportunity to he says he said he didn't even remember what the last thing he said to his son was before he died and and so they were agonizing over that. We know that we're given one life to live, and God knows how long our lives are, but we don't and it's kind of a reminder that we need to seize the day not so much in the need to enjoy the the material uh, things of this life, but that we need to seize our time that we have and make it special to the Lord that we don't miss the opportunities that he gives us, um, both in being there for our loved ones, but also in um, being there, uh, being the hand of God in the lives of those around us. And death is, it's also a reminder that death is not natural to us, that it's something that has brought, uh, it's a curse upon us. And in 1 Corinthians 15:56 it says the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. And Romans 6:23 says for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I think that's the message that even though this movie quotes scripture and it talks about um You know, living a Christian life and and legislating morality, it completely misses the heart changing power of Christ, because you can live in a Christian town, you can live in a Christian country where morality is, is, is a law and still miss out on on the life-changing power of Christ in your lo- in your heart because that's where it's where it is going to make a difference it's not a law that addresses your behavior but it's actually what comes out of your heart because you have Christ in it and i just want to urge all of you to remember that even when you even you can think critically even when you go to movies like this and see that kind of of uh, message even though it's not there and just remember that when you are trying to make people behave a certain way, that the only way that it's going to be a lasting use in their lives is if you change their heart. And God is the one who changes hearts. And no, no amount of laws, human laws are ever going to have an impact. Now, that's what I saw in the movie. Um, we'd more than love to have your impression of it. If you want to... Um, Leave your comments about dancing or about legislation and morality, about rebellious teens, uh, any of the, the many things that have been brought up in this movie. Please feel free to leave us a comment in our show notes. Now, the show notes are are you just dot com slash twenty nine. Or you can send a message or audio feedback to feedback at noodle.mx Or you can leave a me- message on our listener feedback line at eight, five, nine, three, five, three, four, three, three, two. And do check back soon for an upcoming review by Daniel J. Lewis on the new movie, Real Steel. And if you're not already automatically receiving our episodes, then visit areyoujustwatching.com to subscribe with iTunes, Zune, Myro, and more. And make sure that you check out our blog on areyoujustwatching.com. You can follow me on twitter.com slash Eve Franklin, and you can follow my co-host Daniel J. Lewis on twitter.com slash The Ramen Noodle. For Daniel J. Lewis, I'm Eve Franklin thanks for listening and don't just watch are you just watching as a proud member of the noodle mix network at noodle.mx our opening vocal talent was thanks to Mariah the theme song is used courtesy of answers in Genesis for more great podcasts like this one visit the noodle mix network at noodle.mx that's noodle.mx